When I was on the phone with him this week, I heard a dad's heavy heart. You could feel the weight of his words. He said about our topic, the threat is real and the allure is powerful. He shared his broken heart over a child that was, had walked away from the faith. And as we talked about it, he said, I'm holding on to the promises of God. Either our Heavenly Father is true to his word, or Kirk, he said, what we've given our lives to, the gospel ministry, is a sham. It's only for the temporary. Our topic this morning continues our series entitled, Let's Talk About the Deconstruction of Our Faith. This idea about deconstructing about the faith has exploded because of the connectedness of the Internet. We now know former Christian leaders, even Christian pastors, Christian musicians, who've expressed online and told the world that they no longer consider themselves followers of Jesus, Christians. But in a personal sense, many of us too know of people who have walked away from the faith. And so in this message, I want to do three things. First of all, I want to give you some biblical historical context so that you understand about deconstruction. It's not new. Secondly, we're going to hear from the young church. Notice I said young church, not the church of tomorrow. These are our leaders today. And so we want to hear wisdom and their take on this. Uh, and then the third thing that we're going to do in this message is we're going to end with hope. Because this subject is not academic. It includes, it's not an issue. It's about people. People that we love. No doubt you have people in your life who have walked away from the faith or doubted. And so I want to leave you with a word of clear hope. That's where we're going to go, okay? I want to invite you to open up your bulletins. If you have them, there's a, um, a bulletin insert there and write down some comments. And the first thing I want to share with you is that deconstruction has a history. has history. It's not new. The book of Jude, a hard really hard book to find in the Bible because it's just like one chapter. It's really hard. Jude is Jesus's stepbrother. Did you know that? It's his little brother. And Jude says this in Jude 122. It says, have mercy on those who doubt. The greater context of that, I'll have you look that up. Have mercy on those who doubt. And the word doubt means to waver or hesitate. Historically, did you know that in a great passage of scripture that we call the Great Commission. The disciples doubted as well too. Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Most of us know the Great Commission. But this is my, the part of the Great Commission that just kind of jumps out at me. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mount where Jesus had told them. The 11 disciples. And the next verse is incredible. When Jesus saw him, Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It means to vacillate between two things. And Eugene Peterson, in his beautiful paraphrase, puts it this way. Though some held back, not exactly sure if they should truly give their all. What? These are the disciples. This is post-resurrection. And I think to myself, oh my word. Like, who, who, who are the doubters? We don't know who the doubters were, but we know that they were part of the 11th. That didn't include creepy Judas. Some doubt it. 
What's the point? The point is, as you work through the Gospels, especially as you get to the pastoral epistles, and I've listed those there, 1 Timothy 1.20 and 2 Timothy, they name names. They named people. Deconstruction has history. Some disciples doubted. Some specific peoples doubted, as are listed in the pastoral epistles. And some will doubt, and we pray that God would have mercy on them. It's proper to say that this idea is an explosion. It's not a movement. Because you can find and easily find a community online that thinks this way. G.K. Chesterton, a British writer in the late 1800s and through World War I, made this comment. The world is asking the same questions as Job. Isn't that good? The world is asking the same questions as Job. And there have doubts and there have been questions that have been pursued and explored ad nauseum. It just seems to be more in our face. Now, if I've lost you at this point and you say, I still don't understand what deconstruction is, there's a definition that's printed in your bulletin insert, but it comes from this author and we'll hear from her at the end as well, too. Deconstruction, what exactly are we talking about? Deconstruction of the faith is the process of systemically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. Systemically, it's a process. Sometimes the Christian will deconstruct, tear it apart all the way to atheism. Some remain there, but others experience a reconstruction but the type of faith they end up embracing almost never resembles the Christianity they formerly knew. That's a definition, so we're on the same page. Let me show you another way. What does that look like? Here is a diagram of two circles that interact. The question is, is it true? That's the question. And it interacts with, is it good? Is the Christian faith true? Or is it good? And you'll notice who's right in the middle the Holy Spirit filling the life of the believer in Christ, the one that we hold on to. We live as followers of Jesus Christ to those who doubt, one, those who once knew Christ, those who are followers of Christ who claim they are no more. That sets the stage. So I want to call up uh, my young friends here, Lee Blank. That wasn't supposed to be there. And uh, come on up, and I'm going to invite four guests. Come on up, Brianna. And you will notice right away that these um, people, if you don't know who they are, are all PKs. They are all our PKs. This is Gabe and Gracia Larson. They are not married. They're brothers and sisters, although, <laughs> although you're getting married in September. Woohoo! Woo uh, their dad was a pastor here uh, before I came, and now we call him President Paul. He's the, pa he's the overseeing pastor and leader of our network of churches. This is Brianna Quaid. Her dad's um, Pastor Brian. And this guy on the right, I have no idea who he is. <laughs> this is my son, Josh. And so I asked them to uh, come up and give their take on deconstruction or their story. So... Um, Batting leadoff is my son, Josh. And is that turned on? Is the mic turned on? Okay, go. You're up. So tell us your story or, or, or your interaction with deconstruction, bud. Uh, so I am a man of rhythms. 
and every year I appreciate it because in the summer, we do our summer in the Psalms, and that strengthens my heart. And every spring, we do this Can We Talk About It series. Um, and I like that so much because it opens up my eyes, and it, it reminds me these are the, the issues of today, the, the things that we um, talk about and, and we interact with. And so I think it's a church, it's a very good diagnostic question for us to ask our own hearts to say, when we talk about these things here at Bethesda, is my heart moved, and do I, I long to understand and to be able to see how this relates to my life, how my faith interacts with this issue. Um, in his day, Jesus moved toward the issues of his day by caring about the people that he had in his life. So this uh, issue of deconstruction, it impacts me. Um, in the goodness and mercy of God, I was able to have the incredible opportunity to go to a wonderful Christian school for my undergraduate work, and I was able to be a resident assistant. Um, I got to care for young men, and I got to do ministry with them. And so some of the young men in my life, they were my ministry partners. And after our time in college, um, they came back into my life, and we were able to interact with one another. And they shared with me, they said, Josh, um, three young men who I, I did ministry with and deeply care about, they said, Josh, we've let go of those things, and we are now agnostics. And that broke my heart and it, it caused me to ask the question it caused me to ask the question of God why have you chosen to hold on to me mm. when these others have let go of this of this rope of faith and I, I don't have the answers to those questions why have you held on to me why have you held me fast when I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. And one of the things that, that is a consolation for me is that this issue of walking away from the family is something that matters to my father. Um, Jesus tells the story of a young man who says to his father's face, you're dead to me. I want to pursue my own way. I want to see what life has for me. Eventually, this man finds that that's empty, and he comes to his senses, and he's in a pig pen, and he says, would my father take me back? I wonder if he would take me back, and he goes back, and his father welcomes him. He says, you're my son. You were lost, and now you're found. I care about you. So this issue of deconstruction matters to me um, because it's impacted the people that I love and the people that I care about. Next one. Well, I am, I just think deconstruction is, it's a big thing today, and I think it's something that I'm, I think it's important that we talk about and learn more about. Everyone kind of has a different story with their deconstruction, and I think it's important that we kind of learn more about that because, you know, it can be kind of confusing why people would do that, and, you know, there's plenty of us who just have never struggled with that. And I think it's important that we learn more about the people that do have these questions. And I think even more than that, it's important that we respond to people's questions, even the hard questions. And from what I have seen in my own life, people that have struggled with deconstruction and anything of that sort, a lot of it stems from not feeling comfortable in the church and not feeling like they're able to ask those hard questions and get real answers. So I think that it's just important to learn more about that. And yeah, it's, it's hard to watch people that you know and thought were such strong Christians just kind of walk away from their faith and choose their own way. And I've known a lot of people who have done that and ended up coming back to the faith, but I have known a lot of people who haven't as well. 
And so I think it's important that we, these people that are struggling through this, we really hear their stories and answer their questions and just pray for them and just walk alongside them as the church because that's, that's really what they need. They need the love of Jesus. And if they don't have the love of Jesus, they're going to find the love of the world. And so I think it's important that we as the church really stand with these people and, and answer their hard questions. I want to circle back to this. If you didn't pick this up right away, they're all PKs. And one of the advantages of having them speak is they've seen a lot of their friends. They've been in confirmation. They've been in youth group. They've been on mission trips. And it breaks their heart to see their friends who are walking away. So, okay, Gracia, batter up. What's your story? Uh, my story as it relates to deconstruction, or at least my thoughts on it, is... Well, first, when Pastor Kirk asked me to be a part of this panel, I was like, you know what, I actually don't really think I'm qualified to speak on this subject because I've personally never struggled with doubts in my faith, um, and that's truly by the grace of God. Um, I've always just had an assurance of who I am in Christ and how my faith impacts me um, and how it's truly part of my identity. Um, so with this topic of, of deconstruction and... Um, it seems that a really common root of that really begins with a seed of doubt. And so in conversation with Pastor Kirk, I was like, again, I don't, I don't think I've ever experienced that. Again, a tremendous gift. Um, but similarly to Brianna and Josh, I've had friends. Um, specifically, uh, vivid memories come back from my college experience with uh, my softball teammates. I played for the local university softball team and had many friends that came into college professing to be Christians and throughout the, our time in college, um, really wrestled with doubting primarily just that question of who am I? Is God's word true? Do I really believe what I said I believed about my faith? And am I going to live in accordance with that faith? Um, some really close friends of mine really struggled, really, really struggled with that. Um, and being in a close look, knit group on my softball team and I was just pretty you know vocal about my faith um, I was in a lot of conversations with these friends about like you know what are you thinking what are you experiencing right now and really again firsthand experienced um, those struggles with my friends um, and it was heartbreaking to see some of them walk away from their faith um, but I also had friends that became more strong through that process mm. and I'll be able to share about that uh, later on throughout this panel discussion um, but I always just remember wondering, like, man, I wonder how their faith was built within some of these friends that I had that ended up walking away from the faith um, and have at least, you know, from my own personal experience, some anecdotal thoughts. Uh, but I'll get to that. You'll get to that. Later. Thanks. Okay. Wrap it up here, my friend Gabe. Yeah, I, I uh, my experience with this also, I've, like everybody on the panel, I've also had... Uh, friends who used to be Christians and eventually walked away from the faith. But uh, this topic is also really personal to me as well, because I would say probably about 10 years ago-ish, um, went through my own season. I, I don't think I had the language necessarily to describe it as deconstruction, but um, was certainly what I went through. I would describe it as a long season of a dark night of the soul, wrestling with really hard questions 
um, about things that I believed my entire life um, and realized that I didn't know why I believed them. You know, I mean, there's so many things that we're, we're taught when we're young and we grow up and you believe and never necessarily ask or understand why you believe them. And, uh, and for me, there was, there was kind of a slow, gradual process of realizing that I didn't understand a lot of the things that I professed to believe for my entire life, and that was really troubling to me to wake up one day and realize, I don't know why I believe what I believe. <laughs> and um, I uh, found that what we believe about God, the Bible, our worldview is extremely interconnected. Like if you start pulling on one thread and start experiencing doubt about um, one issue, it's, it's like a tapestry. You start pulling on one thread, you find it's connected to so many other, other things. And so there can be this domino effect of you start doubting and asking questions about maybe it's a, a piece of theology that you've believed your entire life. Um, and you start asking questions about it. That starts leading to this question, and then the next one, and then the next one. And all of a sudden, it just feels like you don't know which way is up or down, mm -hmm. left or right. Um, things that you, you realize um, very quickly how much security you've derived your entire life um, from your theology, you know, um, and realizing that feeling like you don't, you can't trust um, the things that you once believed in um, just kind of feels like free fall. Um, but uh, so I, I went through that, um, and it was... Honestly, it was probably the hardest season of life I've ever been through. It was, it was scary. Um, I, I don't think I ever really got close to walking away from the faith. Um, but I didn't really know where it was going to end necessarily either. Um, but the definition that Kirk shared about deconstruction, what it is, um, man, that felt like a two-sentence summary. Three sentences? One, two, three, four four sentence summary of, of what I went through in some ways. Uh, the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew, grew up with and continuing that some remain there but others experience a reconstruction. But the type of faith they em end up embracing almost never resembles the Christianity they formerly knew. That, by the grace of God, I am so grateful. I, I, again, I, I wouldn't say I had the language to describe what I was going through as deconstruction. You know, I was just going through doubt. Um, but what I'm, I'm honestly looking back, I'm so, so grateful for that season because God was with me through it. He handled my, my questions, my anger, my, all of it. And, um, there's, and the, there's a song for that, by the way, do you know? Goes oh, like many this. songs for that, yeah. But. He will hold me Yeah, fast. yeah, right. Yes, yeah, yeah. Look yeah. it up. Yeah. It's on the back of the bulletin. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Say Did it. we just sang that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But the reconstruction thing, like, the faith that I have now, I'm so grateful for, because it's one thing to say that you believe something, it's another thing to um, have wrestled your way into re-accepting, if you will, the things that you've always believed. So, anyway, got it. Two years ago, this sermon started bubbling at a conference when I was hearing about deconstruction, and as I heard the presenters on a panel, I thought, man, it would be so good to have this topic be one that we could address at our church. 
and have it be with people who have rubbed shoulders. Uh, there is a book that was instrumental. I asked each of them to read this book or articles about this book, about deconstruction. It's printed in your bulletin. If you want something free, here's a gift for you. You can go to that link. If you're an e-book reader, you can download it for free. No, no funny business. If you want to purchase it, you can get it on Amazon as well, too. It's called uh, Before You Lose Your Faith, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church. It's fantastic. It was super helpful. So what do people deconstruct? That's what they break down. There were eight issues that were addressed, and I've asked them to each one to briefly address why their peers or others deconstruct. These are the eight. Sex, telling a better story. Race, politics, internet, deconstructing faith online. Social justice, science, why scientism can't explain morality or reality. Anti-intellectualism, anti anti yeah, help me with that. <laughs> called We Must Ask Hard Questions, and then Hell, Skeletons in God's Closet. And as I did, prepared for this message today and got ready for this message today, I would add one more that came up from writers called Church Hurt or Personal Trauma in the Church or People in the Church. So nine of them. So, Champ, I'm going to start with you again. And uh, Josh, and uh, you took, I think you took anti-intellectualism. Why don't you help me with that? So Jesus was asked the greatest commandment, and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Um, in the wisdom of God, for whatever reason, I've been able to spend a lot of time in the university. Some would say too much, those who maybe helped in the tuition bill. Yes. Undergraduate, graduate school, postgraduate school. And what became very important to me is, is my thought was that, you know, if Christianity is for me, Jesus must be able to stand in the university. And spoiler alert, good news, he can. Amen. Jesus is still alive and working on college campuses, working in the heart of students who are asking questions about who they are and about what matters to them. Jesus is at work in our universities. Amen to that. Um, but what I think kept me a Christian is discovering the deep, deep well of wise, thoughtful, understanding Christians of the past. We stand on the shoulder of giants. Amen. For better or worse, um, in our culture that we live in today, um, for all the wonderful things of evangelicalism and just being a modern person, we know more than any other group of people who's existed with, with access to internet searches and things. We know so much, but I would contend that perhaps we know a lot, but how deep we know things is pretty shallow. But when I look to the past and I see people who might not have known as much as I know, I, I would contend that they might be wiser people still because they thought more deeply about what they did know. And so discovering the tradition of Christianity and 2,000 years of people engaging with the issues of their day and saying things that are true and are wise, that's something that, that strengthened my heart in walking with the Lord, being able to find those sources of wisdom. Um, I think that one of the beautiful things about um, Christianity is that as Christians, we are people of truth, and we care about truth. Um, Christianity today, it speaks to modernity and post-modernity, where truth is no longer the question that people are asking. We must always care about truth because we're Christians, but Christianity doesn't only speak to truth. There are other virtues in Christianity. Christianity speaks to truth, 
It speaks to goodness. It speaks to beauty. So as, as Christians, we care about each of those things. And for folks who are wondering, is Christianity good? We have a word for them. The way that we live our lives can show others that Christianity isn't only true. It's true, but it's also beautiful. It leads to human flourishing when we live in the way that our creator has designed us to live. Um, so to the question of, of anti-intellectualism, uh, Karen Swallow Pryor in the chapter, she, she subtitles it, we must ask hard questions. And, and pat answers to difficult and, and thorny issues, that is what leads some people to leave the faith. But what I have discovered as, as a Christian is, is, is looking back in order to live today and to have hope for tomorrow, that Christianity has answered the questions of its day and it has stood um, and it's been able to stand in those spaces. Got it. Thanks, Jim. All right, so I am talking about social justice and I, and just in my personal experience, have seen just those issues be very prevalent in people's deconstruction. And it is, it is kind of a, a big term, and I think some people kind of have opinions on the term of social justice, but I think it really just boils down to seeing injustice in the world and wanting to do something about it. And I think that's something that I'm sure many of us have experienced in any sort of ways. Um, but yeah, I have seen it just be a roadblock for many people, and I think a lot of people see Christians as either too judgmental or just not doing enough in their communities. Um, but, and then they kind of feel like they have to choose between being a Christian or fighting for these causes that they believe in and fighting for this injustice they see in the world. Um, but thankfully, that's not the case. Um, looking to the Bible, we can see that Jesus was not confined to like the synagogues of his day. He was active in these communities that he was visited and lived in and he cared about individuals. And I think another kind of trap we as Christians can fall into is seeing people in terms of their group orientation rather than themselves as individuals, whether that be race, gender, sexuality, or really any other subculture someone might fall into, it can be easy to just categorize them and assume that you know who they are or the kind of person they are. But the truth is you don't know their story, and you could be just the person they need to lead them to Christ. Um, and so I think it's important that we just kind of see people as individuals and see them as just like us, unique and created and loved by God. Um, and I also, just for anyone that might be struggling with deconstruction due to the topic of social justice, I want to offer encouragement that um, just keep praying and keep looking to the person of Jesus and keep studying Jesus. And I think you might find that your pursuit of social justice aligns more with Christianity than you might think. There's a verse for that. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it goes, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us, right? The saints of the past. Okay. You're up. Man, these guys are hard to follow. You guys are just amazing. <laughs> um, so the specific subtext, 
topic um, that I chose to talk about, again, was just based on my experiences in college, um, was regarding deconstruction as it relates to sexuality. Um, I found that a common area of struggle leading to deconstruction within the people that I knew, specifically um, friends and on my softball team, uh, was born out of really doubting their identity. So I truthfully believe that the core of a lot of uh, things related to uh, just people's struggles with sexuality and who I am, it was really kind of even more, it's deeper than that. It's about who am I? Um, and uh, what, how am I supposed to live my life in light of who I am? Um, like Josh said, it is possible for Christianity um, to thrive on college campuses, but anyone that's gone to a secular university knows that college is a really hostile environment for Christians. Um, from not only being some places being very anti-Christian, but primarily through promulgating um, people to have individual truths, subjectivity, basically. That what you feel is true for you, and no one can tell you otherwise. Um, I found this to be very true within my friends that struggled with um, thoughts and feelings that were contrary to what they were raised with within their faith. All the while surrounded by college and friends, professors, just the world in general too, telling them that that's good for you. You pick what feels right and what you think is, is right. Um, and uh, I just think that it, I kind of got a, a good subject to go off of with Pastor Kirk's message last week about that conflict um, just within what God's word says about the creation of male and female and his design for how our relationships are to be, um, that I just had a lot of friends that were really conflicted with that, um, especially just with what they were experiencing in college. Um, and I was really heartbroken for these friends because in conversation they expressed feeling hopeless to me, hopeless about their feelings and desires being in conflict with what the Bible said was true and what they thought that their faith indicated. Um, and it was a seed of, of doubt that ultimately became an identity crisis for them. Um, again, like I said, I had some teammates that decided to deconstruct from their faith and completely walk away, whereas other ones became stronger. And um, if I can just give a note of encouragement, and this is again from an anecdotal standpoint, I noticed a difference between the people that I saw walk out the other side stronger and the ones that walked away, and it was really within that basis of their faith, if their faith was their identity, um, or if it was just a part of their life and not who they were. Um, a powerful kind of image came to my mind just about, again, the foundation of faith. We talk about, you know, Christ is our, our foundation. We think about the, you know, the foundation of a house, which uh, concrete definitely is. Um, but one thing that I think is interest, interesting to think about is, I think, people I've seen be su successful in their deconstruction, their faith wasn't a concrete slab. It wasn't just poured once and left alone. It was like a tree with roots that grew deeper and stronger and was nurtured over time, able to withstand trials. struggles and difficulties. It was tended to. It wasn't just a one-time, here's your faith, here you go. It was something that grew. It was alive and active. 
and uh, the friends that I had that really worked through their faith, that it wasn't just a, a one-time thing, that they said that they believed. Um, they had family and friends and churches that really encouraged them to take on their faith as their identity and to grow in it. And they came out the other side um, stronger than ever. In fact, one of my good friends that struggled specifically in this area, she's leaving. Practical expression of our internal beliefs, right? And um, politics, in a lot of ways, is kind of where the, the rubber, the, the practical expression, you know, of what we, what we say we believe. And I think politics has become um, a road away from, uh, away from faith for a lot of people. Um, and I think the core reason for that is a appearance of hypocrisy, of between an incongruency between what the church professes to be for, what the church professes to believe, um, and the political leanings of the of the church. I mean, for for better or for worse, I'll say the the obvious thing that all of us know in America today: the church is associated with conservative beliefs, with the Republican Party, um, and whether or not that's true or not true, the degree to which it is or not, I, I, I can't speak to, but the impression from the outside world for sure is a strong alignment between the church and conservative politics. And I think for a lot of people who end up leaving their faith over this as a core issue, um, I think the um, alignment of the church with Republican and conservative politics um, leads um, some people to feel that there's an incongruency between teachings of the Bible and um, how people vote within the church, right? Um, I think, honestly, the, the election of Trump in 2016 was really difficult for a lot of people who, who viewed Trump as like the epitome of the candidate that Christians would not support, etc. Again, anybody feeling nervous? Not saying that the degree to which... Uh, their, their uh, impressions were correct or incorrect. I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking more just to um, people who have walked away from their faith um, around this issue. I think that's what they're wrestling with is uh, the politics of people within the church doesn't feel like it's in line with the teachings of the Bible, which then I think causes doubt of like, do they actually believe what they say they believe? Do they actually believe in this God of love when they're supporting a candidate who doesn't seem is loving, whatever. Um, so, um, yeah, I, it's, I, it's the, the state of things, in at least in America, that there's this association between the church and conservative politics, and anybody who is having issues with conservative politics is therefore having issues with the church um, by association. Um, and then I think that that just leads them to asking questions about whether or not Christians are actually viewing the world primarily as Christians and are not simply an arm of the Republican Party, if you will. So, well, how'd I do? <laughs> I'll know tomorrow, I guess. <laughs> Again, Kirk at BethesdaLutheran.org. Yeah, thanks. Okay. <laughs> thanks, you guys. Give them a hand, shall we? Thank you. So where is the hope? You've heard these things. Where is the hope? I want to conclude with three things that I hope that will encourage you. Number one, write this down. Remember the second commandment. Remember the second commandment. Stay in the room. Many of us have uh, appreciated the chosen 
the TV series of The Chosen. Have you seen it? Raise your hand. In the first season, season one, there was a powerful scene between Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And as the season went on, I became intrigued by who this guy was by the name of Nicodemus. And I found out later that Nicodemus just isn't in John 3. He's also in John 19. He was one of two guys who took our Lord's body down from the, from the, uh, from the cross. But that's not the only time, not at just the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but in the end of Jesus' life. In John chapter 7, we find Nicodemus as well too. And what intrigued me so much about his story is that throughout the course of his life, our Lord's life, his public ministry, Nicodemus was in the room trying to figure out Jesus. I love that. I love that idea. I love that illustration. I love that character comment. I later found out just last month, according to the, our Catholic friends in the Eastern Orthodox Church, Nicodemus is called the saint of curiosity. Wow. Wow. He had a story. He had a story. I don't know of doubt, but certainly of growing faith. Where is the hope? Remember the second commandment. If this has touched you with a person that you know, that you love, remember the second commandment and stay in the room. Have a relationship. Number two is this. Remember, this is my father's world. Gabe mentioned this. We talked about this last week. This is my father's world, but it's not the world my father built. And the reason why that's true is because of the fall. The good old days aren't gone. The good old days, good, meaning tov, tov, tov. You read that in Genesis 1 and 2. They're not gone. They're cursed because of the fall. This is my father's world. This is the world that he created. It's not two intersections, but this is the reality of it. If you're watching, on, if you're listening on the radio, I'm showing a slide right here with a greater circle around planet Earth. This is planet Earth, but our father's world is outside this. He created the stars. He created the moon. He created everything. He's transcendent. He's separate from us. He's dist distinct. He's holy. And because we live on planet Earth, and this is my Father's world around it, we have to live according to his laws. And the laws that are written on our heart, even if you don't experience, even if you don't believe in gravity, you'll still fall unless you're Superman or someone like that. We live with those moral laws. When I first heard this idea about... Uh, Deconstruction, I heard the author, Alyssa Ch Childers, who was a part of a Christian music group called Zoe Girls in the mid-2000s. And she started to deconstruct her faith and pull it apart, looking over some of these issues that we touched on, that the panel touched on. But she made a comment in her deconstruction that I, I don't, by God's grace, ever want to forget. She said, as I tore my faith apart, there was one thing I couldn't tear my faith apart, and that was this my mom and dad's Christian marriage and how they live their lives in the gospel and for the gospel. I'll never forget that. She said, I couldn't deconstruct how mom loved dad and dad loved mom and how they faithfully served others in Jesus' name. 
stay in the room. Where is the hope? The hope is this is my father's world. It's not how my dad built it because it's cursed, but it's still his world. And here's my third one. Remember the redemption stories. Remember redemption stories of rescue and redemption and renewal. Remember them. Be encouraged. This week, in my devotional reading, I came across the story of Rahab. Rahab, a sex worker that's in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1? The people of Israel were waiting for a Messiah, waiting for a Messiah, and they get Rahab? Wow. Hebrews chapter, it should say chapter 11. That's my mistake on my part. Hebrews chapter 11 calls Rahab one of the people of faith. Incredible. Remember God's redemption story. There's a powerful story by Aggie Hurst. Write that name down. She's a, a missionary daughter, and her mom was, died overseas. She came back. She was adopted into another family, and her father left the faith became a drunk and destitute. And it was 50 years later, 50 years later that Aggie heard the story of those seeds of the gospel that were planted overseas. And God used her mom and dad's life. It wasn't a waste. Also, if you want to read a fascinating story, go to Philip Yancey. Many of you have appreciated his writing. And an ongoing deconstruction dialogue that's going on between Philip Yancey and Tony Campolo's son, Bart Campolo. If you want to read their dialogue of, st of someone staying in the room. Let me conclude with this story that just happened this weekend, this week. I met for coffee with a, uh, with a pastor, and we hadn't seen each other for a while, and we were talking. He had just lost one of his parents. And uh, I asked him, I said, well, when did your dad die? He said he died a number of years ago. And he looked at me and he said, Kirk, my dad was the second person I led to Christ. I said, wow, that's pretty neat. He said, I was going to give up on my dad. Quit praying for him. And the Lord impressed upon my heart, who are you to stop praying for the grace of God to rescue your dad? And I'll, I'll, I won't forget that. Who are you? Let me encourage you this way. Don't give up. Don't give up. Circle back. Pray. Fast. Intercede. Stay in the room. Second commandment. And don't forget God's redemption stories. He thinks as far as eternity is compared, right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you will hold us fast. You are the firm foundation. We rest in that. We thank you for this truth. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you are writing in people's stories and you use us in the midst of very difficult situations. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name.